Yura Koto and welcome to Goodfellow Podcasts. This episode is kindly supported by an unrestricted educational grant from GSK. The content of this podcast is independent and was developed by the Goodfellow Unit and our expert speaker. I'm Dr. Louise Kugler, a specialist GP, and today I welcome Dr. Jenny Visser to provide an update on herpes zoster vaccination. Jenny is the lead academic for travel medicine postgraduate studies and is a senior lecturer at the Department of Primary Healthcare and General Practice at the University of Otago in Wellington. She also works part-time in clinical travel medicine in Wellington. Her research interests include the travel health needs of long-term expatriates and expedition medicine. Jenny's background is general practice. Maureena, Jenny, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for that lovely introduction, Louise. So today, Jenny, we're discussing herpes zoster vaccination and update. What patient groups are at risk of acquiring herpes zoster infections? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, really, the, the risk for developing herpes zoster infection is having had chickenpox in the past. And because until very recently, nearly all of us would have been exposed to chickenpox as children or young adults, all of us will have had chickenpox in the past. Therefore, we're all at risk of developing herpes zoster at some point in time. And we know that that increase in risk starts and climbs quite steeply after 50 years of age. So we know that around 50 years of age, our immune response starts to become a little bit aged. We, we're just not as robust as it was in the past. And lots of studies from all over the world show this quite steep increase in the risk of herpes zoster for those people over 50 years of age. Now, it does get a lot higher, again, the older you get. So certainly for anyone 50 years and over, a one in three lifetime chance of getting herpes zoster once you're over 70, it's a one in two um, risk. So it does increase as you get older. Obviously, there are those other groups that are going to be even more at risk than the general population will be people who have got severe immunocompromise and that can be um, for, and that will affect a much lower age group. But really, the risk is having had chickenpox in the past. So Jenny, you've mentioned the older adult and the immunocompromised. Why are these groups more at risk? Is basically because our immune system is just not as good at keeping the herpes virus in, in check. So if we go back and think about, and just a quick reminder, an update on what herpes zoster is. So herpes zoster is the reactivation of the chickenpox vaccine, allowing it to escape from the dorsal root ganglia or the trigeminal ganglia and causing disease. So we are all infected. We're infected with the chickenpox virus as children or at some time in our lives. We get over the initial illness, but this is a virus that then goes and sits in the dorsal root ganglia. And while our immune system has enough antibodies and has enough immune memory, it is able to keep that virus in check in the dorsal root ganglia. But at some point in time, if our immune system drops below a theoretical threshold, the virus is able to escape along the sensory nerves and cause the infection that we know as herpes zoster. And so as I said before, this is a risk in all of us as we age, but obviously if we become immuno 
suppressed for some reason, either some congenital immunosuppressive condition, or if we are put on medication or develop an illness that causes immunosuppression, the risk is increased yet again. Thanks, Jenny. And you mentioned chickenpox. So I'm wondering about the role of vaccination for chickenpox. What role does this play in preventing herpes zoster later in life? Yeah, that's really, really interesting. The short answer is we don't really know yet because the the chickenpox vaccine has only been around for a relatively short period of time. The hope is obviously that by reducing the risk of chickenpox, that we will reduce the risk of getting herpes zoster later in life. But at the moment, the recommendations are that if you have had chickenpox vaccine in the past, you should still receive a shingles vaccine for a couple of reasons. One is no vaccine is 100% effective. There will always be some people who, despite having had the chickenpox vaccine, will still contract chickenpox, the disease, or they may have a very, very mild form that isn't even um, recognised. And there's also a, a possible theoretical risk that still has to be proven, but the chickenpox vaccine is a live vaccine. And theoretically, it's possible that the, the vaccine virus, the chickenpox vaccine virus, may act similarly to the wild virus, and there may still be a risk of developing shingles. But basically, we, we don't know yet. But the good news is that by the time the, the younger people now who are being vaccinated, being used with the chickenpox vaccine, by the time they become older, we'll have a lot more information as to how effective the chickenpox vaccine is protecting people against herpes in, in the future. The only people at the moment who you might be considering giving the Zoster vaccine to who have received chickenpox vaccine in the past will be young people who are now immunocompromised. So that will only be a very, very small group of people. The vast majority of people who would be eligible currently for the Zoster vaccine um, will not have had chickenpox vaccine in the past. Thank you, Jenny. So thinking about the vaccine and how it works immunologically, can you tell us about this? Yes, yeah. We're talking about all um, Zoster vaccines. I mean, all vaccines, basically, this is all about uh, boosting your immune response. So getting some circulating antibodies and waking up the cell-mediated immunity just to have everything ready to go when you, um, so in the case of Zoster, that virus can't escape from the dorsal root ganglia and cause its disease. If we talk specifically about Shinrix, the um, recombinant vaccine, this is a combination vaccine of a specific antigen from the, the virus and an adjuvant, which is a very potent adjuvant. And basically, this is injected into the vaccination site. The adjuvant stirs up all the, the immune um, response cells, but the um, antigen-presenting cells, particularly the dendritic cells, come to the site, gobble up the um, antigen and take it through to the lymph nodes, which stimulates a really, really potent T-cell immune response and reminds your immune system that you need to be on the ready to fight this infection and that just keeps the, the virus in check in the dorsal root ganglia and it doesn't escape out and, and cause the disease. 
Any specific vaccinations available in New Zealand at the moment? There's been some change in the space. Can you tell us what's happening? Yeah, yeah. So what's happening? So up until recently, the vaccine that was available in New Zealand was Zostavax, the live attenuated vaccine. And that became unavailable for private purchase in February of this year and was no longer available in August of this year, although there were still some supplies, um, some stock in the country, which is now all pretty well used up and about to expire. So I understand a note has gone out to general practices that if you've got any of the old Zostavax in your um, fridges, you should be sending it back and um, restocking with the, with the new vaccine. And Zostavax was an okay vaccine. It, you know, it did a reasonable job, but it was a live vaccine, so it had lots of contraindications. You couldn't use it in those people who were immunocompromised, who we know are much more at risk of um, getting complications with Zoster. And um, although it gave reasonable immunity in younger age groups, efficacy dropped off quite dramatically in older age groups. And, and dropped off quite quickly after three to four years. So that vaccine will no longer be available. The available vaccine and the funded vaccine is now Shinrix, this recombinant vaccine. It's a, an inactivated vaccine, so can be used in immunocompromised and all, all age groups from 18 years and older. So Jenny, discussing Shinrix specifically now, as this is the available vaccination in New Zealand, who should we be offering Shinrex? Great. So the licensed indications, it's licensed for use for the prevention of both herpes and post-hepatic neuralgia in all people aged 50 years and over. And it is also licensed down to 18 years of age for those who are at increased risk of herpes and its complications, particularly the immunocompromised it's only funded, however, currently for those aged 65 and over, well, in fact, in their 65th year, but it is possible and hoped that the funded indications will be extended over the coming years. So Shinrex may be new to some of our listeners, so can, I wonder if we can just discuss some specifics. So you've discussed yep. age. Um, what about site and dosing schedule? Yeah, so this is, it's important, this is a, a two-dose primary series. It's intramuscular, and you'd give it into the deltoid, and you give the first dose, and the second dose can be given two to six months after the initial dose. And it is important, you do need the two doses to get the full benefit of this vaccine, all the efficacy data is based on people getting the two doses two to six months apart. People are quite good coming in for their first dose, but it can be tricky to get them back for their second dose. Do you have any tips to ensure this, the second dose gets in the arm? Look, I think the, the obvious thing would be to book people for their second dose when you see them for the first one and put them into your recall system. If you book it for around the two, two or two to three month mark, then if they're a little bit delayed, then you know you're going to get them in within the six months. So really just hooking them into whatever recall system that you, you currently use in your practice. 
Jenny, I wonder if we can discuss some specific circumstances now. So, yep. so if somebody's had COVID, can they have the Shinrix vaccine? And if so, how quickly after their COVID infection? Yeah, so COVID and, and herpes has been quite interesting. The zoster, sorry, has been quite interesting, hasn't it? Mm. We do know from studies that there has been an increase in people getting um, shingles after COVID. Um, one study showed that in 50 years and over, not vaccinated against shingles, there was a 15% increase in the risk of getting shingles if they had COVID and a 21% increased risk if they were hospitalized with COVID. So it's possibly another point we can use to encourage people to get this vaccine. But on a slightly different question then, of course, if they've had COVID, how long do we need to wait before we can um, we can give a Shinrix? And there are no studies done on this, but if we go back to first principles and if we certainly apply the same principles to this vaccine as we do to all other vaccines, there have been very clear statements come out from IMAC and others that as soon as people are over the acute illness, they don't um, have any fevers anymore, they're feeling well, don't have um, ongoing significant symptoms, and importantly, it's beyond the um, recommended isolation time, then they can receive any and all the vaccines that are on the immunization schedule. So we would apply the same to Shinrix. We will have lots of our patients that have had Zostavax. So if they've had a recent Zostavax and then they've heard about Shinrix, how long do we need to wait? Or is there a, an ideal window to give them Shinrix? And if that was some time ago, when would we give Shinrix? Yeah, again, this is something that there isn't a lot of data. There hasn't been a lot of studies done, although there certainly is a little bit of data, which certainly shows that it's safe to give Shinrix post-Zostavax. The New Zealand Immunisation Handbook, the recommendations is that you wait a minimum of one year between having received Zostavax and receiving the Shinrix vaccine. And that's not based on any concerns around safety data or there's going to be interference with the vaccine. I mean, Zostavax, although it wasn't a fantastic vaccine, gave most people reasonable cover for one year. So if you've had Zostavax recently, if you wait one year to get your Shinrix, then you're improving the longevity of the protection that you're going to get from the Shinrix. So waiting a year is the current recommendations in New Zealand. And what about someone who's had a recent episode of shingles? When would we, or would we offer them Shinrix? Yeah, and certainly, yes, absolutely. If people have had shingles in the past, there is a significant risk that they will get shingles again. So it always is worth offering the Shinrix vaccine for people who have had shingles in the past. And the waiting period, according to the immunization handbook, again, is the same. It's wait for one year. And again, it's not because there's any concerns around um, safety or interference. It's just that it's very, very uncommon to get a repeat bout of shingles within a year. So again, to get the best longevity out of the vaccine, waiting for one year post um, a shingles is what's recommended. What about someone who's on an immunosuppressive drug? Do we need to treat them any differently? Yeah. And again, the same principles that apply to all the vaccines that you're going to give people who are on immunosuppressive drugs is, is that you really want to give this 
if there is the opportunity, you would give it before they commence on immunosuppressive medication because you want to maximize that immune response before they're going to be immunosuppressed. Or if they are currently on immunosuppressive medication, if it is cyclical, then wait until there's been enough time for the medication to affect to drop off and the immune system to bounce back again. You could discuss with your immunologist or their specialist as to what would be the optimal time to give the vaccine. However, if you have someone who is on immunosuppressive medication and has to remain on it and there's no opportunity to come off it and vaccinate when their immune system has bounced back a little, then there's no harm in giving it because this is an inactivated vaccine. It's just that you're going to get a less robust immune response. And Jenny, other vaccines, if a patient has had other vaccines recently, do we have to take certain precautions or can this be given with other vaccines like the flu vaccine or the COVID vaccine? Great question. So so there's good data that it can be given with the Pneumovax vaccine and with tetanus diphtheria, a cellular pertussis vaccine. Theoretically, there's no reason to have to delay. This is an inactivated vaccine, and generally inactivated vaccines can be given at the same time or any period of time before or after other vaccines. So the current thinking is it will be perfectly safe to give it with influenza vaccine, which is important because the funded dose at 65 is when many people will be coming in for their first influenza as well. There are two exceptions to this because this is an adjuvanted vaccine and it has quite a few local and systemic side effects. Then the advice is avoid giving it on the same day as any other adjuvanted vaccine. Separate it by three days if you're giving it with the other adjuvanted vaccine. And the two that are of concern are the adjuvanted influenza vaccine, Fluad Quad, which was not the funded flu vaccine the season just gone, but it might be in the future, and the adjuvanted COVID vaccine, Novaxivid, which we're not giving to very many people at all. But just to be aware that, again, it's not dangerous to give them together. It's just that they both are, um, you're all very reactogenic vaccines. And if you gave them both on the same day, you're probably going to make them feel quite miserable. So separate by three days, if at all possible. So just thinking now about those people who can't be vaccinated for one reason or another, what are the contraindications to vaccination? Yeah. So really with Shinrich, there are very, very few contraindications. The only very clear contraindication is an allergy to the first dose. And if this is the first time you're having the vaccine, then, then you won't know. Or if you know that you have an allergy to any of the components, but it's a very simple vaccine in, in that sense. And the adjuvant, very unlikely you've come across that in the past, although it's very similar to the adjuvant and the Novaxivid vaccine, and it doesn't have any antibiotics or preservatives or anything else of concern. So are you like you always would when you give any vaccine, as your screening question would be, any severe allergies to any any vaccines in the past. And if you had a positive answer, then you could just check on the data sheet or get some further information from um, the wonderful helpline at, at IMAC. But really very, very few contraindications. Like all vaccines, if somebody is currently unwell with an acute illness um, and a current fever, you want to wait until they're feeling better before you give the vaccine. 
And anybody who may be on anticoagulants or bleeding disorder, you still give it intramuscularly is the current advice, but you just um, make sure you apply some pressure at the injection site for a good 10 minutes or so afterwards. There is one other group that you should just be a little bit careful about, and that is, it comes back to post-shingles episodes. If somebody had ophthalmological complications with their shingles, then make sure you clear with the ophthalmologist that it is okay to go ahead and give the vaccine because there is a concern that the immune response to the vaccine, if there's still some virus in the eye or around the eye, that that may aggravate the response. So it's just something to be to be mindful of if they have ophthalmological complications with a previous or their last um, if they had a shingles outbreak, clear it with the ophthalmologist before you give the vaccine. That's a fantastic point. Jenny, we always like to warn our patients about side effects from vaccines and what they may experience. What do we need to be aware of in this space? First of all, we can reassure our patients that this is a very, very safe vaccine. The risk of severe adverse events and deaths in the pivotal trials was the same as placebo and in fact slightly less. So very safe vaccine. But it's a great vaccine because it's adjuvanted and adjuvanted vaccines do cause a lot more. They're very reactogenic vaccines. They cause a lot more local and systemic side effects. So it is really, really important that we um, warn our patients that nearly all of them, a good 70, 80% of people will get a local reaction at the injection site, and that can be from just a little bit of pain through to a bit of inflammation, um, and that can go on for a a couple of days. It also, a lot of people, about at least 50% of people had suffered or reported systemic uh, side effects, particularly fatigue, muscle aches and pains, a bit of fever, all those general systemic symptoms. For most people, both the injection at the pain site and the systemic symptoms were mild to moderate and usually only lasted one to two days. And it's really, really important, I think, to warn people that it's not uncommon that they will feel unwell with this vaccine after the first dose and that certainly they can go ahead and safely receive the second dose because these side effects are expected and it's very unlikely that it's going to be any worse with the second dose. Fantastic. So thinking about efficacy now, how effective is this vaccine and how long does that effect last? I suppose that's dose dependent, but let's just talk generally to begin with. Yes. So the 10-year data has just come out, which is um, it's interim data. There's a longitudinal study ongoing. There'll be a few more years to run yet. But overall vaccine efficacy protection against um, shingles at 10 years is 89%, almost 90% across all age groups. It did drop a little bit in those older age groups, people over 70, 80, but it was still up in the 70 plus percent. And there's a bit more analysis of, of that data. But Overall, we can say, you know, 10 years, 90% of protection against um, shingles, herpes zoster, and post-hepatic neuralgia as well, and about the same against the other complications as well. So 
a really, really um, highly effective vaccine for 10 years. And that's based on getting the two doses. And there is a significant amount of data showing that you do really need those two doses. On all the long-term efficacy data, the studies have all been done on people receiving the two doses. There is a little bit of um, real-world data on people who may only have received the first dose. And it was in a group over 65 years of age. And the single dose gave about 55% vaccine efficacy against um, shingles, whereas the two doses gave significantly more. But that was quite short-term follow-up, only a couple of years. So the recommendations is stick to the two doses, definitely do the two doses. And with that waning immunity at 10 years, are we re immunizing at the 10-year period, or when are we thinking about No, it? not at this point in time. So as I said, there was a hint in that the um, very recent uh, release of the 10-year data that perhaps in some of the older age groups it might be getting to wane, but we don't know if that is just a drop in a plateau or if it's the beginning of, of reduced efficacy. So at the moment, we're saying no boosters. There's no data, there's no recommendations on boosters. But the good news is, by the time 10 years rolls around, we're going to have a whole lot more data and we'd be in a position to give people some more advice around that. But I think we can confidently tell people that, you know, this vaccine is going to be good for at least 10 years, which is pretty good. Hmm. So thank you for your time today, Jenny. Just to conclude our podcast, please, your take-home messages for our listeners. Great. For me, that we now have got a really, really effective shingles vaccine, which offers long-term protection, great data out to 10 years, and we can offer it to a much wider range of people who are at risk of shingles and its complications. Remembering that anyone who has had chickenpox in the past is at risk of shingles, which is most of us. So this is something that I think we really should be starting to discuss with all our patients once they hit 50, because we know that that's when the significant increase in shingles does um, start to climb. I don't think we need to wait till 65 to offer this because the risk is higher before that. And I'm sure we've all had colleagues and family and people we know in their 50s who have had a dreadful experience with shingles. They will have to pay for it. But I think it's really important that we don't assume that our patients are not going to be willing or able to pay for this vaccine. And the other group, of course, that we can now offer this to, which they currently have to self-fund, is those who are immunocompromised. And just those two practical tips, which I touched on before, remember if you're giving another adjuvanted vaccine, then you should be separating by three days. And if somebody has had ophthalmological complications with shingles in the past, then please clear it with the ophthalmologist before you give the shingles vaccine. Fantastic. Thank you, Jenny, for your time today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you also to our listeners for your ongoing support. From the team at the Goodfellow Unit, we wish you a very Merry Christmas and a safe and restorative holiday break, and we look forward to seeing you back here in 2023. If you're a New Zealand GP and would like to claim CPD points for listening to this podcast, they are eligible, so please log them. You'll also find a list of resources used in making this podcast on our website, goodfellowunit.org.
Pure everyone 